Welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navar. I've got with me Matt Petrowski. Yes, Matt Petrowski. You and, and I are talking again. Oh, although when I point to a side, I have no idea what your recording is. So it could be Chris could be there. He could be there. He could be there. Because oh. <laughs> online, the, the, the video is different than yours. Wait, wait, Chris? Chris is here? Which Chris? Oh, hello. Uh, Chris Ippolite. Pleasure to be here, fans. I, I, I Fans. I'm fans of yours. I'm glad to be here. I look forward to having another conversation after we chatted about a year ago, actually. I guys. know. I'm going to take it personally, but... Thankfully, nothing has changed in the world of AI or anything else. Since then. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> so we're going to talk about AI. That's going to be our main topic. But first, I want to nerd out with you a little bit on training because you've sure. got you've got a boot camp kind of thing going on coming up. I'm in the middle of one now and you've got an AI boot camp thing. So talk to me. What's going on? Yeah, I've done um, uh, been doing the boot camp uh, career development stuff on the FileMaker front for gosh a bunch of years now. It started off with the 42U school, mm-hmm. and then when they moved out of the U.S., then Quasar uh, took over. So doing another doing another cohort there. Do a couple of those a year, and then of course uh, online Claris training through LinkedIn Learning. And mm-hmm. uh, last year, I sort of as I personally am getting more into the AI stuff, I've, I now have uh, training on the um, AI side exclusively, not on LinkedIn learning. I didn't want to really confuse the messaging. So I've got mm-hmm. another platform for that. And I've got a, what is chat GPT course that's going to be coming out. I'll probably put some of that up on iSolutions AI YouTube as well. Uh, so that, and then also in the same sort of spirit of the career development on the Claire side, doing something, um, the same kind of uh, program, bootcamp program, but specific to language model AI, uh, career training. You have a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. I, I was hoping at this ripe old age of gray temples that I could just be like putting in a cruise <laughs> control and kick it back. Like, like this retirement thing I keep hearing about, but now I, I tried um, that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I sold are. my company and I sold everything I own and I moved to Greece uh, and I look out that window at the Mediterranean. <laughs> it's pretty, it's a ways away, but you know, but you still got to have something to do. But the thing is, I, <laughs> you're yeah, either I knitting socks or you're doing mm. file maker. <laughs> yeah. Five minutes after I got here, I like, yeah, well, I need to start something new. And I, and I decided to throw myself full time into this training thing. Training. That's my plug. And then Matt, you've been doing some crazy stuff. You just, you just launched an app on the app store. I did actually oh. it's, but it's, I mean, it's nothing big Super because narrow. it's a, such a small, well, we could do a whole different podcast about being on the app store and what that means <clears throat> and what it's it. like. I mean, when you release an app, you're basically invisible. You don't exist unless you have a marketing strategy and a plan to get exposure. The app store is not like it was in 2008. Discovery was so fun in the app store in the early days, but nowadays Mm -hmm. I could, I could go, I could talk for hours. There's like, there's a website where you can see how many new uh, apps are released on a daily basis. And the app store is so full of garbage because even though their review process is pretty stringent, they still Mm -hmm. have to let most anybody who's creating an app, put it on the app store. So uh, it's, it's crazy, but yeah, it's been a great experience. 
Well, congrats on it. It's awesome. I got to play with it. I thought oh, it was cool. So let's dive into our topic, I think. Love you brought it. up the phrase chat GPT, which I have no idea what it is. I haven't seen anything about it in the news. Well, all yeah, <laughs> all you have to do is just put the phrase chat GPT in the name of this podcast and on YouTube and it will people will actually watch it. Don't put Chris Ippolite or don't put machine learning because mm -hmm. nobody seems to care about that. But just put yeah. chat GPT and like you'll get twice as many views and or downloads as you normally do. Noted. It's clearly the hottest thing. I mean, we're, we're recording this at least in February of 2023 for those in the future uh, where this is all like a uh, duh, but and we're yeah, dropping right the word chat GPT, chat GPT. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that transcription that's being caught on you chat GPT. Yeah. Well, we've used it now three and it's using a time differential. Yeah. Well, yeah, they yeah. use chat GPT within the past yeah. 30 seconds, five times. Hey Matt, hey, Matt quit it. Let's go down with the, uh... <laughs> it is definitely the hottest topic in tech. There's no question about it, but I think there's, I think there's maybe a little bit of confusion right off the top, like that mm -hmm. this is a new, like what ChatGPT is. I think people are conflating ChatGPT and GPT and 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 OpenAI and all this stuff right. and language yeah. models. So I, I I think there's some you know pretty high level stuff that might people might find interesting about all this. A big part of it, obviously, is we're going to be talking about how it connects to FileMaker. In an hour well, it doesn't. So straight up, uh -huh. I'm just telling you, there's you cannot connect ChatGPT to FileMaker currently in February 23, 2023, because there's no mm -hmm. API to ChatGPT. Right. Got it. ChatGPT is a uh, research preview that absolutely nobody has access to. That's why most of the users are accessing it through free or just recently with the Plus. Mm -hmm. um, but there is no connecting. I, I've been hearing people Anything talking about, it, oh, yeah. I'm connecting, to, but you can't. And and honestly, it doesn't matter because you can connect yeah. to GPT, which you've been able to do for years, at least a couple of years, I should say. Mm -hmm. And you can create chat experiences there too. And I'm happy to talk about what the actual differences between the chat GPT model and the GPT-3 model are. And I think they're important. Uh, Google just yeah. recently had one and uh, I saw on a Reddit post, they got a little bit of flack for... There's actually, it didn't make a mistake per se, but the model wasn't trained and then it like flubbed and people are like, oh, well. Well, Google has their own large language model and OpenAI has the GPT large language model. And, um, you know, Meta has a large language model. The uh, mm -hmm. one just got released in China. Like this is, we're in the middle of a space race right now. And there's probably eight or nine different combinations of model which is like chat gpt is one of the models from OpenAI, and mm -hmm. you know some of the stuff that's coming out you're already seeing it again at the time of this recording i have to i keep saying that because news changes so fast but yeah we're coming off the heels of the microsoft versus google throwdown which is great i mean if you're into sport or just tech or just the way businesses run uh it was super fascinating but unfortunately google lost a hundred billion in market cap in just one, one oh, announcement yeah. and a lot of people are saying it had to do with the fact that one of their demonstrations um in, in their uh, presentation of bard which is their chat gpt offering it had a, mm -hmm. a wrong answer in there but i'm here to tell you that even chat gpt and gpt3 have a bunch of wrong answers but there's a way that you address that there's these concepts of fine-tuning and there's mm -hmm. it, yeah it'll, the model will constantly be refined it'll continue to be trained well we're, as a matter of fact basically Maybe we should just skip past trying to introduce and define any of these topics. If you don't know what this is, Google it. <laughs> no, don't Google it. ChatGPT it. <laughs> ChatGPT it. So if you can get an account, which you can't because... Well, right. So 
So there is a paid account. If you get an invite, if you're in the United States, and I think it just started rolling out into Europe, you can get a uh, ChatGPT Plus account, which is 20 bucks a month. And all that guarantees you is uptime. The free, mm. the research preview version. Uh, the reason it's free, by the way, because the amount of compute, compute costs that this is costing OpenAI slash Microsoft, yeah. who, by the way, are essentially the same entity when it comes to this endeavor. Um it's Microsoft's compute and uh, Azure cloud services that are actually running mm -hmm. on the back end. But the costs that OpenAI are incurring by allowing this free research preview are absolutely astronomical. So why why would they do this? Well, what's actually happening is... They're collecting as they go, are they not? Yes, it's exactly <laughs> correct, Matt. There, this is, there's this concept that's called reinforcement learning. And the reason mm -hmm. that ChatGPT, which is a completely different model than GPT or GPT-3... So mm -hmm. first of all, let's back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, GPT-3 is just the third version of the GPT transformer model from OpenAI. Uh, by the way, Google, who's been taking a lot of heat lately, came up with Google Brain authored a paper in 2017 on the transformer concept, and it absolutely revolutionized everything. <laughs> After that, many organizations created their own language models, one of which happens to be OpenAI. That's who's mm -hmm. basically the leader in the clubhouse because of mm -hmm. GPT. And they created version one, which was somewhat spectacular. Uh, and, and by the way, this was a, a research organization, not meant for profit. Uh, and I know this is probably going to turn a lot of people off to this, but you know, one of the original founders was Elon Musk and the current CEO, Sam Altman, and a few other luminaries. Mm -hmm. Elon has thus since pulled out. So don't worry, everyone who hates Elon for whatever reason, like you can come join ChatGPT and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But it was supposed to be just a research thing. Like, let's see if we take the the largest corpus ever known to man that's been modeled and see what happens. So what is that? Cor like, when we're talking about the largest corpus known to man, we're talking about um, basically 400, and well, like the, the amount of token. So mm -hmm. tokens are like <laughs> syllables of a word. So it's not, you can't really say the right. number of words, <clears throat> but uh, common crawl you guys know Common Crawl. It's oh. the, the thing that actually crawls the internet. It makes Google searches oh, possible. Yeah. You can, you know, that right. little robot.txt in your web server, you can say, don't crawl me or whatever. Well, right. And it does it anyway. Crawled, and it does. It basically <laughs> does anyway. There's about 20, 30% of the web that is behind a, a wall, a paywall, you know, <laughs> uh, some sort of login auth wall mm -hmm. or something that's not part of this corpus. And that we'll get to that later in this discussion. Mm -hmm. But about 60% of the OpenAI GPT model is common crawl. Another 30% is um, books, actual books that are out on the internet that they've consumed that are, you know, yeah. sort of, you know. Google has, all, Google has all of them. Project Google, Google, go, yeah. Short In history order lesson for the viewers. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to the printing press. Whoever controls the information has the power. That's that's what it is. Whoever's got the most data wins. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an extremely interesting part, too, because, Matt, to that point, right now, language models like they have all the data, meaning all the language models like you can go like their GPT-4 is going to be the fourth version of the GPT model from OpenAI. And that will come out in 2023. Who knows? By the time this podcast drops, it might already be out. It's happening that fast. Okay, so back, back up a second. So there's GPT and ChatGPT, which is that are different. ChatGPT is is that just the chat part of it where you can communicate What's, with it and, it's actually and ask pretty it questions and have it well, write papers? 
It's based on two different models. It's based on the GPT-3 mm-hmm. model, which actually was upgraded behind the scenes to 3.5 as a mm-hmm. precursor to the GPT-4 version. So that's meaningful because right now with the API, if you go to Microsoft Azure Services um, or if you go to OpenAI and you sign up on an account, you can actually make API connections. So when you're asking okay. this to FileMaker, that's what you can connect to FileMaker. You've been GPT. able to do that for a couple of years. GPT. Right. Not GPT-3.5. There's a model in there. For those of you that are playing around with it, that are watching or listening, there's a model within OpenAI and Microsoft. Let's just, if I mention one of those two, it's the same thing. They're basically partners mm-hmm. in this. Okay. It's called the DaVinci, the, the text DaVinci model. It's just the name of one of the models, the sub-models. You can look at it that way, 003. Mm-hmm. That is the most modern and mature version of GPT. So technically, that's what GPT 3.5 is. And mm-hmm. so Chat GPT is based on that model combined with, and I think this is kind of fascinating, with the Codex model. You guys probably know the Codex model. You know, GitHub, don't. <laughs> GitHub Copilot. So GitHub, uh, Codex is a, mm-hmm. is a coding model. Um, GPT Wherever the most is data is, model. whoever's got that. Like, uh, side technical, technical question. Do you know the actual size of the model? You like, mean it, it, is it in uh, gigabytes? It is in gigabytes, but... Petabytes? But... The actual size yeah, I mean, petabytes of the would be so much to process. You have a request come in and it has to surf through petabytes of information and then feed a. That's not going to work. That's not. They're going to have to segment. Well, it's tokenized data, so this is a, a completely different type of compute than the indexing type of you know uh, com, you know what we're, what we're talking about. So completely different, really. They, they don't logically map to each other that well. So that's why you, when you hear about the size of these language models, they mostly talk about like parameters and the number of parameters um, that are in, you know included in, in the language model themselves is really what the, the size thing is. But so the deal is like... I need to go through this because a lot of people, a lot of people probably may not have understanding. So for, let's say, for example, you've got a model and when a question comes in, that question is composed of 32 words. Of those 32 words, it's going to find some keywords. Those keywords are going to index or identify to a particular index. So in other words, it's got to know, okay, this question is about uh, tennis, the ball, and the court. And then it's going to know to go to that part of the model. Is that how it works? Yeah, it's uh, well, it, the, the tokenizing um, of... Of uh, of data itself is actually pretty fascinating. It's essentially taking language and turning it into math. Uh, it's vectorizing. So we talk about tokens. Those are not actually words. They're the breakup of the words. But in order to actually mm-hmm. be able to communicate with it, so so let's look at it this way. Um, uh, have you ever been on like a community where the search doesn't really work? It just seems like it's doing keyword matches and you're trying to find a topic and you keep getting the wrong one. Um, it's not doing, those are called like index searches, right? The alternative approach to it is something that's called a semantic search, which basically says I can ask a question like, hey, I'm having trouble with this thing. And whether I hit the keyword right, because I don't know what the answer is, like mm-hmm. how am I supposed to know what the keyword is? There's literally a uh, a mathematical process where you convert uh, data into it. And what it does is it clumps similar phrases and terms and words. If you look at it just from words, like you can say, you know, like cat, dog, parrot, like they all kind of, they'll that is a very large cluster. And then these clusters get mm-hmm. really small. And it really, really what it does is it, it allows us to ask a question in a number of different derivative ways and have them all have the same mathematical representation. It so totally that's what it it totally makes mm-hmm. sense. It's it's like yeah. if you have the word which, 
within three words of the word dog, you know that that's a question and you can do something with it. It's all relative to the other words that it's that are within that particular yeah. semantic block, uh, which can be a, a paragraph human or it could be a like sentence. Uh, this is 100% correct. And by the way, Matt Navarre, this is exactly how the human brain works. That's why... Yeah, if I ask um, you, I can say, where are you? Or where are you at? Or you at well, home? Or, well, it's even... It, it, and it's even more fascinating than that because the, the entire concept... So, yeah. So, we get vectorizing of the data, like making the data mathematical. And the problem that it solves is there's various different ways to say the same thing and answer the same mm -hmm. thing. We want them all to be clustered together in the same mathematical representation. Mm -hmm. Then there's the idea of completion. So language models are all based on completion. So like I've described this before as, you know, when you go into Google search, I, I'm I, whatever you go into mm -hmm. any kind of search and there's the type mm -hmm. ahead. It goes, Oh, you're probably, this is probably what you want. Or yeah. you're in a Gmail where you're typing a sentence and it, and it finishes yep. the sentence for you. That's just completion. That is not only how the human brain works, like literally everything we do, every you know memory that we have in our, our brain and the way that we go through life is mm -hmm. all about completion. Like we've seen this before. I know what happens next, right? It's language. Right. It's... Yeah, and it's all language. And so the language models, when you say to ChatGPT, uh, write me, and uh, like I, I know everyone wants to go ahead. Everybody just go stop for a minute, go write a poem, get it out of your system. All right, cute, <laughs> adorable. Now let's talk about practical uses here. But when you're saying something like, um, write me a research paper or whatever, you're 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 beginning the first part of an overall like sentence let's say which includes the research paper but you have to do the part that prompts the completion mm -hmm. those two terms are, are very important prompt and completion those are the the two concepts that make language models work and anyone who wants to play around with this stuff needs to be familiar with prompt and completion so mm -hmm. if you played for those who've played with chat gpt what you're typing in the little google type search box i can't believe how much love i'm giving google here but um into the <laughs> search box that's what's called a prompt and the the way that you phrase that prompt is very it's like there's an art form to that that's called prompt engineering mm -hmm. and the better you are at at describing what it is you want providing context and a voice and and really mm -hmm. just kind of saying okay now your turn language model the better the the thing is that you're going to get back so this is very much not like write me a paper on whales and then it just mm -hmm. spits out the perfect thing like you can do better than that. And that's what the prompt mm -hmm. engineering part is. The more descriptive, so the more narrow you have the ability to choose from this massive trove of data out there that says, how many right. times have people put the word whale with these other words? And can I grab those? And what's the yeah. frequency of use? And, oh my gosh, I mean, you can just do and so I have, much. I have billions but, of but you could say like, ex explain the con explain the existence of hip bones in whales from the perspective of, uh, you know, mammals moving to, uh, out of the, uh, of life moving from the sea to land and then back to the sea. And, and if the they've got a bunch really of scientific papers, yes, it's got well, sentences it, in it. Well, and here, here's something interesting, like Wikipedia, we all know the breadth of Wikipedia. That's only 3% of this corpus of data. So just try to imagine oh. like, oh my God, right? Like wow, every, yeah. even Quora is like included in here. Like it's so insane how much data is here. So here's what's not happening, just to be really clear. <laughs> truth mm -hmm. versus not truth? <laughs> yeah, well, well uh. not 100% truth. And here's why, because this is a corpus of data from the internet. So let's just look at like FileMaker mm -hmm. stuff. Like if you go in and say, answer a question about FileMaker. Well, 
was 100% of the times that somebody wrote something on the internet, were they correct? I, I mean, the reality of it is, no, the wrong answers and the correct answers are on there. There's a way to affect this. Like, if you want to use these models and go into production and have truthfulness, we can talk in a little bit about how that works. There's a way to do that. But just raw, straight up chat GPT, asking a question, is it going to be 100% correct all the time? No, because inside the data, there's incorrect answers as well. But... But yeah, it also yeah. do crystals it, cure cancer? Is it going to know the answer to that? Oh, sure. dude, you just gave me the idea for a sci-fi book called The Truth Wars, where you then basically right. have somebody trying to flood enough false information in order to get the probability of whether it's true or false to get yeah. it to switch well, to false. <laughs> what you're talking about is uh, using using the techniques of uh, fine tuning and even uh, reinforcement learning to be able to influence the truthfulness of the models. Now, granted, in those cases, you'll end up with your own version of the model. Uh, but one important thing before we move forward, because we might talk about mm -hmm. some of the lawsuits that are happening and people are kind of freaked out about the truthfulness of the models. Here's what it's not doing. And I really, I, this is this is a big brain busting concept. It's not searching through all this stuff and finding the one time some person typed the answer to your whale question, Matt. It's mm -hmm. actually looking at all this information and much in the same, you know, remember Fifth Element, Lilo, the character mm -hmm. where she watched Lilo. like... Lilu, I'm sorry. Yeah, she watched like the entire history of war and then she like a little right. tear drop. Mm -hmm. And she, what she did was she learned about humankind like battling with each other, like in an instant. She yeah. didn't, she wasn't taking extracts from it. And every time she talks, she's quoting some paper that she read. She learned. So this corpus of data allowed this model, the most sophisticated models known to man. And by the way, the amount of compute powder power that it takes, like if we tried to run it on an M1 Mac, it would take like the 35 years or something like that. It's like $40 oh, million wow. for the compute just to do a single train. So imagine what's happening. It's not just the data. It's not just the um, the vectorizing, but there's all this intelligence. It's literally learning. It's creating its own brain. So mm -hmm. when you type a question in, and now granted, some there are some stuff on the internet with side-by-side -side stuff where mm -hmm. people go, here's my answer. And it's clearly on, you know, this is what I wrote in my thing. And it's clear oh, that right. will happen. But yeah. mostly... The reason that you can't embed attribution into these things, because everyone's trying to figure out, like, how is everybody going to make money if this oh. becomes the new search? <laughs> Copyright is out the window. It, it, well, it just has to. Well, there's a whole mm -hmm. discussion about fair use. And, you know, we talked about Google Books before. There's actually a precedent based on how Google uh, scraped all that information and established a court case for fair use, which is going to make a lot of this copyright discussion not not work so well. But you're not even going to be able to say from an attribution standpoint, if you get a big de uh, uh, description back of some question mm -hmm. that you asked ChatGPT, it could be 50 to 100 different people's thoughts or non-sectors that, that then came up with what essentially is an original thought. And now that might be my stance on this. I think these are original mm -hmm. concepts that are coming out of it. But we'll get past this. It's not... <laughs> Like, this isn't going to kill AI. This is just yeah. going to be like, oh, okay, well, now you get three cents from your union of writers because, you know, your stuff's being part of, you know, you can be opt out of an index if you want to, but there's so much data out there uh, to be part yeah. of the, uh, these data sets that it's just not going to matter. So Originality um, is a perception. I mean, it's such a perception because basically it's just a different package. Maybe somebody well, had the idea before and it wasn't possible, but now it's possible and it's just a new package yeah. on what, was implemented I, in an older way. I don't know, man. As a composer of classical music, I'm not so sure I entirely well, agree with you there. But so the, but the number of frequencies that the human ear can hear is finite. 
There, there is a no, fixed that's what I'm range. Saying. So it's the number of combinations that are possible, while they will be immensely exhaustive, right? Ultimately, it, there's 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 a finality to it. I know. It, it, I'm just saying. I, I can write you. I can write you an eight measure melody that didn't exist before. And, and, and see, I agree. Gonna... I agree with. I I think those are different things. As a matter of fact, the sort of the 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 concept I would give is I have listened to these like podcasts with a bunch of comedians on them, and they talk about like stealing each other's jokes. And every now and then they they just sort of land on this. Well, there's a chance that we kind of all sort of ended up at this same thing and found the humor in it and came up with our way to say that joke. So maybe we maybe a couple of us landed on that thought, oh, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can say that same thing with music because there's you know more science and structure to it. And like Petrowski said, you know there's a finite amount of range yeah. there. Thought is a little bit different, right? Now, I would say the same thing as I would about music about code. So right now there's a lawsuit. Uh, not I don't know if it's official yet, but whatever. That's a class action suit where. Mm -hmm. um, so Codex, that's what I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. um, Codex is a completely different model. Like, Chad, yeah, like does GitHub own that or do does yes. the, con the, the collective of the contributors? They're the ones that made it. GitHub that's just hosted it. And, and so GitHub. Well, so GitHub was acquired and then the the organization that acquired it now took the rights of that corpus of data and so the big question is more philosophical than anything it's like if you wrote a bunch of code and you put it onto a public repo so just to be clear the codex mm -hmm. is just the public repos not the private repos right mm -hmm. and then it was used to create this thing that can now write Python and JavaScript. And by the way, if if anyone watching or listening has not and and they do write JavaScript and Python and you have not yet explored the copilot, a GitHub copilot, mm -hmm. prepare for your life to be changed. You need to use this tool. It's not going to write everything for you, but it is a yeah. companion that is going to increase your efficiency like you would never believe. Now it's going to find all the variations across all of the the GitHub uh, repos. Sort yeah, I mean, it, and keep in mind again, it it taught it. It's not indexing. It's not going. Hey, go find the little clip of this function, this JavaScript mm -hmm. function that somebody wrote once. It's saying, this is what I need based on what you've learned. Write this for me, right? Mm -hmm. And now the question is, there could be a hundred people who wrote the same function because they had the right. same need, and they. So what is it? Somebody's function. So it's just going to be a really, 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 really hard thing to prove, and especially as these things get more intelligent. And so I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding of what's actually happening. It's not like this indexing, grab a clip. If you just look simply at the whole idea of vectorizing data and the whole completion concept, you immediately understand how this isn't just one person's thing. It's That's literally. Like, that's a great yeah. example. What you said, like when I, when I go back to like originality is perception. If you take just an if statement, how many times can you compose an if statement based on two variables with a JavaScript filter function? There's going to be a few ways, but you're going to hit that limit pretty quickly. And originality within that concept is very low. But with music, you've got a wider spectrum. So your originality can be higher. And over time, that's when you're going to have more variability. But you mm -hmm. think about now and 50 years from now and 100 years from now, and you think about how many compositions right. in music there are, you're going to have an increasing amount of overlap. That the sure. number of combinations for these keys in this way and stuff like this, it will be found just like we find it with an if statement. 
No well, question. And that's all, nothing compared to like the neurons in the brain and, and all the possible <laughs> combinations there. Well, but all of it, that, like, you know. Well, so Matt Navarre, th this is very much anchored in that same concept. So um, the, the whole idea of these language models is rooted in how the brain works. Now, there's a couple of schools of thought as to, you know, how the, the, the mind actually, you know, how memory and recall actually works. Mm -hmm. But one of those concepts is what turned into AI in the first, in, turned into artificial intelligence in the first place. So we're many generations away from that now. Mm -hmm. But th this is, the language models are very much us and the way we talk and the structure that we talk because of the way that our brains work and, and that we, you know, process thought and that we listen and we respond and all that type of thing. They're literally mm -hmm. set up to be like a brain. I mean, it's it's very much intentionally part of how these things are created. It's fascinating now, stuff. If you think about the I ability know. to capture all thoughts of humanity, I mean, right now we're just capturing the words that are coming out of people's mouths. And mm -hmm. it used to be stuff that was written in books. Now it's any video. Any well, video that can be <laughs> captured and transcribed now goes yeah. into that corpus. Well, and then there's an, yep. there's another layer to this too, and that's the reinforcement learning concept. So, so going back to ChatGPT, what really is ChatGPT? We talked about two things so far. Mm -hmm. It's based on the DaVinci 03 text model. That's what lets it talk, and it's a very fine-tuned model. The difference between DaVinci 02 and 03 is is um, they, like literally human trainers, like they they hire people that are called labelers. Like right now, uh, OpenAI is in this uh, label hiring thing and they don't say mm. how many they're hiring, but they're likely hiring tens of thousands of people with all this like Microsoft money that they got. <clears throat> and what those labelers are doing is they're, there's like this um, reward process of like putting, like imagine, and again, this isn't public knowledge. You, you, no one's really, mm. because it's kind of their secret sauce, but it's somewhat akin to like, Let's say we wanted to make the FileMaker, the knowledge that's in a language model better with FileMaker. What mm -hmm. we would do is find a community of like 50,000 worldwide developers that have been working with this that understand it. And we would present them with a bunch of scenarios on screen. And we would say like, hey, does, is this the FileMaker gotcha. calculation for doing this, right? And so, and then some of them would say, yep, that's correct. And you give it a little thumbs up. And then some of them say, mm -hmm. no, actually that that's actually entirely wrong. Or maybe I would say it a different way. So then you hit thumbs down and then you type in your own answer. And then mm -hmm. this information just keeps getting gathered and gathered and gathered. And what happens is then that gets put back into the model through this fine tuning process. And that just keeps going and going and going. So imagine if the FileMaker intelligence that GPT had right now was reinforced by all 50,000 of us in the world interacting with it on an hour-by-hour basis and fine-tuning it, and then that goes back into the model. Imagine the level right. of intelligence that it would achieve and the, at the pace it would. To so then be able to write code in FileMaker, yeah. Yeah, well, so that should happen, by the mm -hmm. way. Uh, and I'm looking at it that from an educator standpoint um, <laughs> rather, rather than a, a coder standpoint or a developer standpoint. We, we're mm -hmm. not really coders, let's face it. Uh, but the the amount, but but the reinforcement learning part of it is also what makes ChatGPT so incredible. So there's the the labelers, and then there's the people out in the public that are doing the reinforcement learning, and then there's the fine-tuned models underneath it. So ChatGPT is a combination of all those things. It is not GPT-3. They're not the same thing. And mm -hmm. by the way, the differences are not so subtle. If you go into ChatGPT and you ask it, like, where can I bury a body in the desert? <laughs> like, oh, it's going to come back and say, 
uh, yeah, no, we're, I'm a model. I can't tell you how to do bad things. Or if you want to say, give me a, a mean joke about somebody, it'll come back and say no. So there's a tremendous yeah. amount of filters built into it. And then also, if you've ever done a hit against, so anybody who's listening who's played with GPT-3, and it's the same language model, but you could go and ask it a question, and then it might answer you in a certain way. But then when you go and, and hit chat GPT with the mm -hmm. same question, because they're not the same model, the chat GPT is trained to do stuff like, well, in you know, like in order to find the number of whales that are going in a certain w direction, you would mm -hmm. da, 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 and then it goes in conclusion. Like so, it's like it's like right. very like paper like, not so much conversational, not so much sequiturs. They move all that stuff out of there. So, um, so the whole existence of ChatGPT and the reason it's free, at least at the time of this recording, is simply because there that's a research they literally want they don't have to hire a bunch of labelers they have over 100 million people right now fastest technology to 100 million users in the history of technology by the mm -hmm. way fastest to the to 1 million as well it took them 5 days to get to 1 million that broke the tiktok record which was 25 days all those people are providing free labeling services. Uh, it's free. It's been free work since the guy who came up with yeah. reCAPTCHA and said, "Hey, let's get somebody yeah. to classify images by because <laughs> they need to go through something." And now you're like, click on every bowl that has a strawberry. You just got free labor. It's brilliant <laughs> across honestly. the web. Yeah. And then they're taking all that like street view camera stuff that's usually garbage and they're using that as the training data. It's 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 amazing mm -hmm. what's happening there. But we should be thankful because what yeah, it's like come out of it in the chat GPT case is an absolutely incredible slash terrifying tool that is for sure not going anywhere and it is absolutely already disrupting significant numbers of industries and will continue oh, no. to do it's gonna so the the data collection is just going like this <laughs> it's like well, it, it, and add to it competition so you know you see saw a little bit of the microsoft slash open ai versus google well if it if it was just OpenAI, they were the only ones who had a language model. Well, then they can just sort of dictate their pace and what features it has, and maybe even the truthfulness of it, or the sort of the political tone of the data, much like a publisher of newspapers mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But now that there's not just them, there's Google, there's Meta, there's the Chinese versions, there's Jurassic, there's like tons of these language models out there. They're all competing with each other to get into this space, and nothing like you know. Like well, throwing in the fact that it's an emerging economy that is probably akin to the mobile phone, cloud, and the internet, honestly. And the breakneck speed of of, uh, of innovation is just going to be something we've never seen before. And it's, it's happening. It's, it's all who's got the data. Google's got the data. Meta's got the data. Yeah. Anywhere somebody has released their thoughts through a key, type, yeah. type, type, that's where they've got the data. Well, then yeah. it's whoever's, you know, YouTube. Look at all the well, Google's got YouTube. Yeah. They've got all the videos. Thousands of videos per second being uploaded to Google. Well, and so that's the next wave. So the next wave of this is so at some point, I, I, I you know, this isn't a hundred percent accurate statement, for, but for the purposes of this thought, let's just assume it is because it's pretty darn close to a true statement. And that that statement is, at some point, all the information will be in a model. And everyone's going to have all the same information. As a matter of fact, the the nature of how transformer models work, actually, they arrive at the same they arrive at the same models. Okay, so imagine everybody takes all the public information and it's just there. So first of all, that means that we've commoditized knowledge. That literally means that everybody who has access to these models, even currently right now, 
has the same level of knowledge as the other person that has access to these models. So equalizing. Total democratization, total equalizing of knowledge. So then where does the additional knowledge or the differentiators come from? 100% comes from proprietary data that these models don't have access to. Then if you're an organization that has been, um, I don't know, you know, you could be an organization that does a certain business function that nobody else does, and therefore you're the one that has that data. So then what you can do is fine tune these language models with your proprietary data. And now all of a sudden your organization has a tone or a flavor of that data that no one else has. That's the next level of this. So that in about a year, maybe even who knows, <laughs> you know, by the end of this year, a week, yeah, <laughs> that's what everybody's going to be doing. So it's going to be really fascinating because, you know, being a consultant, you know, my wife always teases me like, when she's introduced me to people, like, he's a consultant, I don't even know what that means. And I go, well, it just means, you know, like 10% more about a topic than someone else does that's paying you for it. That's not even going to be a thing anymore. No one is going to know 10% more about general knowledge. That's why the knowledge worker is already being affected by the emergence of these models right now. And it's 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 absolutely fascinating to me. Like, what type of knowledge work is the, the biggest ones being affected? Well, uh, mo well... Most tech support? <laughs> well, I mean, technically, what would you need a human to do that Well, look at it more from an industry disruption standpoint. The big one yeah. right now is like marketing. Like everyone is just like saying, you know, there's all there's been tools that have been out there already. Like Jasper is probably the biggest one in that space for like copywriting. But and I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just I'm just some nerd talking about models, mm -hmm. what a great tagline, by the way. Uh, but um, right now, you if you're in the copywriting industry, you just you should go use your copywriting skills to polish up your resume because right now, uh, writing like product descriptions or marketing copy or taglines or social media stuff or there's extracting a lot of it out there. Keywords, mm -hmm. there's literally no reason for humans to be doing that anymore. I, I will tell you right now, we are working, we have a client right now that we are building in copywriting to dis to so because they're because of layoffs they they don't mm -hmm. have the personnel to be able to do this anymore and we have now solved that problem with the language model for them and it's amazing what it does no offense to humans but it's better i mean it's just better and the control that well you know still there's humans involved with the prompt engineering yeah, of course what comes out it's not just like write copy like there's very much an influence but that so i wouldn't I, and i I'm friends with people in the marketing industry who have who have in a fascinating manner been talking to me about this and mm -hmm. saying, look, what do we do? Do we just embrace this stuff or do we pretend we're not using it or what? But no. it's only a matter of months before everyone's mm -hmm. just using it themselves. So what do we do? So that's one of them. Um, I mean, you could self-perpetuating also... system. It's like as soon as you've generated a marketing blurb from a corpus of data and you tweak it to fit your needs, if you feed that back in, it's just getting more and more well, complete. The, the one that's fascinating to me, because humans just love to work on rules. I mean, I always tell, I, I always tell myself, we're going to rule ourselves to death until we've got so many <laughs> rules that you can't even live without taking a breath and you've broken a law. The legal <laughs> aspect, using precedent, is, is just phenomenal well, like i how many I times has this particular situ situation occurred and how was it resolved applies next so i'm actually speaking at a uh, uh a summit next week 
or two weeks or whatever, whenever this comes out. But I'm I'm talking about ChatGPT and its disruption in certain industries. And the industries that I focus on in that presentation are marketing, much like I've just talked about. And one of them mm-hmm. is legal. And legal, I mean, there's so many aspects of legal. So I don't want to, you know, again, offend anybody or, or, you know, pretend like I'm an authority by any means. Find the flaws in this license agreement. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... If you're in just writing documents and writing wills and writing contracts, well, no one's going to need you for that it's anymore. It's boilerplate. A lot of it. it it's like fill in yeah. this word. <laughs> you can write promissory notes or contracts or he, even better, you can take a lease agreement. So let's take like, so my uh, stepmother's a, a lawyer and we were having this conversation. Unfortunately, everybody has to have this conversation when I'm around and I apologize to everyone. But we, she just retired and she was in a, um, uh, like a, a, a malpractice attorney, a courtroom malpractice attorney. And so she, I go, Hey, look at all this stuff that you can do. Here's some contracts and it writes a bunch of contracts. And she's like, wow. Yeah, actually those lawyers are probably in trouble, right? Cause when people can just write their own legal documents and literally influence it to, to say, make this in favor of the leasee, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you need lawyers to do that for you for, or to mm-hmm. audit audit something to see if there's anything in there? You know, like uh, like those, um, like the uh, even the um, the copy that I was just telling you that we're deploying for our customer right now, mm-hmm. where we're writing the, this information. We actually have a component of it that then goes, "Hey, here's what the legal team says we should look out for. Does it pass all these two? So we don't even need their legal team to audit whether or not the thing that the AI wrote is making promises that the that corporation can't keep. But so back to this thing with my um, with my mother-in-law um, and and I and I can't imagine they'll be able to figure out podcasts. So I, I don't even have to pretend that she's hearing this. But the the and I mean that with love. And the she'll see it says to chat GPT, uh, exactly. tell me everything that Chris said on any podcast on the Internet. Well, by the way, remind me of that statement in about five minutes because I'm going to blow your mind with with something as well. All right. To finish the thought on legal, she said, um, "Write me a limine, whatever, a bunch of legal stuff I've never even heard of, and I'm writing it." And it comes back with this document that she goes, "Well, it's not citing the case. Give me a citation." Then we find this citation, and she goes. No, that's not the one that we use. Like we use this other citation. This one's from 1994. We use this one from 1989. And then she stops, sips a cup of her coffee, and she's looking at it. And she's like, "But hold on a second. <laughs> Ask it for more information on that." And I go, "Okay, give us a summary of da da da." We drill down, and essentially, we find that this citation was better for what her firm had been using this whole time than the one. And again, they're very capable. It's a very capable law firm. The point yeah. is bringing access to the research part of it, the discovery part of it. Like, remember, you know, the trope in like the movies where they go, oh yeah, we'll give you all our evidence. And then they go, come on guys, wheel it in. And they wheel in like a truckload of paper and they're like, you have to go through. Well, now you just ask a question. (laughs) That's exactly it. Good luck getting through this by Friday. Well, okay. (laughs) I just plugged it all into our model and it it told us everything we need to know. So again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in the legal profession, but there's a, a lot of disruption that's happening there too. I I don't think we're safe either in business applications. I've got one where I'm actually, I'm really comfortable with this because I know it's not going, it's, it fulfills the creative side. Uh, And this is, this is, maybe you'll have information about this. Uh, Designing a UI. Okay. Okay. So you have right now, like, for example, if I was a publisher and I, in the past, would have to hire an artist if I was publishing, let's say, Time magazine. Mm. Well, 
if I can go to all of the different uh, rendering, you know, AIs, and they'll, they will generate artwork for me, I don't have to pay an yeah. artist now. Correct. This but is from, why Getty Images is now currently suing Midjourney and Stable AI. Right. Right. But from the standpoint of software and how you interact with it, you can feed a model a billion images and it's still going to have to piece them together to come up with the end result of how you want a user to interact with software. If it, if it can accomplish that, I would be impressed. If I would be able to say to an AI model, generate me a user interface for this particular application, it can go find, like for me, I've got a pickleball app. I could say generate a UI for me for a pickleball app. It could go find all of the other apps that use the keyword pickleball, get their UIs, but how's it going to create a composite Check that out. fits your need? Check out uh, Galileo that IO and genius also, I think it's just genius.io. And those are a couple of things that actually use AI to feed into like Figma hmm. to create UI layers. I mean, there's going to be common pretty... patterns, but you still have to compose those like well, a search bar. You're yeah, still going to have to compose kind of the that. same thing as constructing yeah, but... a paragraph or a essay or whatever. Eventually I mean, it still has to, it's still, it's still unique. Eventually, Eventually well, but like yeah. music, there's a wide enough spectrum that well, let me, it's going to be a longer it. time before you get to that saturation point. Let me let me spin let me flip it Maybe. around a little bit on you, uh, Matt Petrowski. So you're you know uh, there's tools out there. This has nothing to do with AI, but tools where you can um, like one of my favorite design concepts is like the university that was like had the big grass mall and they were trying to figure out where where they wanted to put the paths. So they said, well, we're not going to put the paths. Just let the students walk through it for a semester. And then that's where we'll put the paths where they've grown the trails, right? So there's the mm -hmm. user interface and UX, UI, UX uh, versions of this where you can actually say, at where are people's eyes going on the screen? What are they doing? And, and, and like basically how a human interacts yeah. with the machine on screen. And we, as software designers, we do our best to try to predict all the users that we don't even know of yet that are going to interact mm -hmm. with the system and where they might look and find meaning and try to reduce the friction as much as possible. The language models, besides just writing like prose and poems and stuff like that, they can also represent a persona. Okay, so you can say you can develop an entire sophisticated persona of a type of a user and the type of information they care about, what data is meaningful to them, what they have to do, what tasks they do, and, and then literally put your UI tool in front of that and just go, yeah, I'm curious what 10,000 users of this system that have this objective to accomplish would say about my UI and then tweak it accordingly so it's efficient. See, that's what's going to be amazing is when the uh, when the manufacturers take these devices and as I'm using the device, it correlates my tap on the screen with my eye tracking of what I'm looking at. That would be like mind boggling, <laughs> like you're to correlate that data goggling. <laughs> Just mean, you know, some of the other devices that are coming for yeah, eyewear yeah. purposes might facilitate that pretty easily. So yeah, they're uh, watching your eyes. Yes. <laughs> so it, it, and, and also, is, as far as business applications are concerned, UI, UX, no question at all. But we've been taking a very different approach to how people are interacting with data here at iSolutions for like the last couple of years. And, and I'm a little nervous about it because it's a little disruptive. And that has to do with like, what do I need a report for? What do I need a, a dashboard for when we can just put all the data Ask on the back end? And yeah, 
I mean, I just I wrote something yeah. recently up on uh, LinkedIn about the concept of of this, and I honestly believe this is where it's going. We're already doing projects like this uh, with our customers, and the point is, think of how much friction goes into creating a report, a chart. Like a, or a, a graph chart. when you basically mm -hmm. can say, give me a chart of my company performance in this category or, across this spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would challenge you, you even further. I'll challenge you even further. Who cares about the visual representation? Because what do I, why do I, what does my human brain need a visual representation for? Well, make because I need to then make a decision. So what if the data lives in there already? And I just want to, I just want the decision. Oh, just makes the decision. <laughs> yeah. well, Should I increase I, the price of product X? So why would we yes. trust him? To make <laughs> According to our right the findings, mm -hmm. there was a um, Alfred Sloan wrote a book called My Years at General Motors, and he had this really interesting anecdote about reports. Like back in the day, like I mean, way back in the day, the most important information in the system was so hard to generate. Like those dot matrix printers, mm -hmm. and they would like wheel in like a three foot tall report for somebody, mm -hmm. and the only people they could afford to give it to were the 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 head of General Motors and like one other person and there was nothing they could do with it. And so he was talking about, well, now, you know, and then like Bill Gates mentioned this in a road ahead and he said, well, now we have data and we can digit, you know, in the digital digitization era, now that data can go down to all the people that can make decisions with it. Well, all I'm proposing is the next stage of that, which is just simply take all the data and make the decisions. And why, mm -hmm. and the people are probably terrified about that, but here's what my whole thing is right now. I'm all, I'm about killing dashboards. Why? Hmm. What, what does Ippolite have against dashboards? Well, it's it's the it's first of all it's it's this this trust conundrum. So like we've been doing before we were doing language model stuff. We've been doing a lot of custom machine learning models. We talked about mm -hmm. machine learning models in the last year on this thing, and and um and and the concept with machine learning models is finding patterns in historical data to do the same kind of thing we're talking about to com do completions to say here's a bunch of old data where here was the outcome. And all this old data, all these features they're called, led mm -hmm. to this target outcome, right? We talked about this last year. But now I'm going to take this model and, and point it towards data that's coming in in the future and remove that target and have it predict what that target is. So my whole point with dashboards is if you can look at a da like you take any, you know, gray-templed old, you know, business owner and they go... Oh, I, I don't want an AI making decisions for me. I'm comfortable looking at my dashboard and then I'm going to make those decisions. Okay, well, let's dissect mm -hmm. that. Well, why are you comfortable looking KPIs? at your dashboard? <laughs> yeah, or my KPIs. I'm going to look at all the different... Why are mm -hmm. you comfortable with that? Well, because all that happened already. That's historical data. Like, I don't have to challenge it. It's 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 fact. Okay, mm -hmm. well, all we're doing is taking the fact, the same exact logic that you, that you derive those conclusions with, and we're pointing it into the data that's coming into the future. It's something that human brains can't do. It's something that, right. like, our FileMaker calculations and scripts can't do. Like, well, that's what the models... Well, the mo <laughs> when you incorporate models, they can. So yes. my point is, now the relationship with data from a business application standpoint, and then you integrate uh, language models. Like, there's, like, like conversational AI and, like, using Siri and, you know, like, even, like, like Alexa and some of the inputs to actually talk to your data. Right. But this is a whole other paradigm. No, because this is this is predictive. This is like future. Yeah. This is basically questions like, should I should I be selling uh, you know houses right now? And it goes out and he uses whatever's on the internet and says, well, according to this, across your particular range, house sales are down or whatever. 
Yeah. Well, let's let's bring it to FileMaker, and I'll tell yeah. you exactly. So, what, what ask, first first of all, I have a question. You said you're you're against dashboards uh, yes. to the guy who's going to be teaching a dashboards class in FileMaker pretty soon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no, what, what would you replace them with? What are they going to? What's what's going to happen? Uh, literally, uh, literally a a a, t a bar where somebody can type Questions. in or voice input where they can just do inquiries. I mean, we're I, we've been doing this for a couple of years already in our business applications, but the yeah, but then there's no model, prompt. No, the, the what do you mean? The human Your question the is I mean, the a dashboard. Problem. Okay, dashboards okay. in my in my book are um, meaningful. Um, that's They're like the most important thing. Conclusions. It's a visual representation some, of the past, and only in the manner that the developer decided to tell the story. What I'm saying is the conundrum is the potentially. I, don't know, I have a different take on them. Potentially hundreds of of future users in the future that you don't even know what questions they're going to have. You don't know what. The, their relationship with data has or what decisions they need to make or what environmental things have changed between when you wrote your dashboard and when they have their question. If right, but I guess, so I guess we maybe define dashboards differently, right? A dashboard is visual, actionable, and meaningful. If it's not, sure. it must be those three it, things. Yeah. And so, so and so I'm, I'm we're so like for example, if you, you know, a dashboard on a, on a FileMaker database would have, these are the, these are the follow-ups that need to happen by you today for your job that you have at this company. They're, they, they're, okay. they're in the past, but they're things that are scheduled to happen in the future. And you see them on the screen. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to ask about it. They're there. You click on it. It takes you to the record. You pick up the phone, you make a call, you send an email, whatever you're going to do. And then when you go back to your screen, it's gone because you've done it. Yeah, and that's a you're actually you're kind of on my side on this a little bit with that because what you've done is taken historical data and derived actions from it already, and to some degree, that's exactly what I'm talking about, but at, at higher levels of magnitude. But I guess the so, dashboard it could still do the same thing. It could actually provide you a visual result. I'm but, I'm saying what Huber's by do knowing you have your is, job. <laughs> I'm saying what Huber's do we have as software developers that we know what the users of our software a year from now are, are need to get out right, of the software right. that we're creating. So is it, do oh, we right. want to just go, Oh, just call me and I'll tweak it for, you know, a hundred bucks now or whatever. No, I'm saying data is here. The people are here. And right now mm -hmm. we live in between those two things. Mm -hmm. I'm just suggesting that we give them the relationship to their data. And like, just think of any corporate structure, you line all these people up and what relationship they have to, you know, based on what job descriptions they're trying to do or what, what mm -hmm. they care about or what their specialties are, their relationship to that corporate data is completely different person to person. And I'm saying, why are we adding friction with the, 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 this layer where like, we think we know what chart is going to be meaningful to somebody just say, yeah. ask a question. So for example, there's mm -hmm. this concept. If you want to play around with uh, with ChatGPT, when everyone's done writing poems and all that kind of stuff, it, 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 there's this concept of embeddings. And th all I'm talking about is this idea of embeddings. And I am like out of my mind with how this mm -hmm. is going to change everything. What that means is you can take your own proprietary data and insert it between the language model and the user. That's okay? what I was, yes. I was just going to say. Yeah, there's yeah. going to have to be proprietary, um, yes. not islands, but... Right a corpus of knowledge for a company that you're then yes. going to have to correlate as it relates to the greater, the, the larger mindset. It says, okay, yeah. take my data that I consider private, look at my product sales, correlate it to what's going on out there in the big world of data. Come back and tell mm -hmm. me, should I sell more of product A or more of product B? 
And also the language model helps it understand you as a human because it knows how to speak. And it also okay. knows how to communicate with you because you're like, like, again, these other models and these like con conversational AI, these things have existed before, but they have radically changed with the introduction of uh, this chat format with language That's models. That's going to be the business. The business How is going to we... be creating those uh, privatized corpus of data that interacts yeah. with the larger models. So it, how can we get to some of that, right? Like, because well, I want you that. have to create so, it. <laughs> well, so here's the thing: you can take data. So here's something that's going to blow your mind. I did this experiment. It's up on my YouTube, the stuff that's been up on iSolutions YouTube for a while. And one it, of the things mean, AI did, solutions. You should rename your I, company AI solutions. I, well, it's actually iSolutionsAI.com. <laughs> Thank you very much. But um, on that YouTube, one of the things that I did was I took, and you guys are going to get this, and you're going to you're going to get the bigger picture of this whole thing. I took uh, four arrays of data, okay, like customers, orders, mm -hmm. uh, order lines, and products. And sure, I gave them keys, but I didn't relate them. I literally just threw them into a bucket of data, and I labeled them appropriately. But I just mashed them all up, and I go, here, take some of this data, take some of that data, mm -hmm. take some mm -hmm. of this. Then I layer it in between the language model and myself. Uh, there's a way to do it in ChatGPT, but it's just kind of parlor tricky. But this, this okay. other concept that I'm talking about is how you do it officially. So you go vectorize all that data so that you're getting rid of the redundancy and mm -hmm. like the false, you know, uh, truths and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then you then literally, like in this demonstration that I was doing on the YouTube video, I go, something simple like who's my best customer and it goes oh this one's your best customer because they've got this many orders and da, 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 da. all right well um then i get more sophisticated and this is where you know forget filemaker and mm -hmm. all this other kind of stuff like this is where the language mm -hmm. models have the intelligence then i go we just had a recall on one of these products who do we have to notify now for relational database folks like us that's a no-brainer. But I'm talking mm -hmm. about a bunch of data that's not related. Data models, right? <laughs> it's literally just correlated, and it answers that question. It goes, oh, well, I can tell that this product is related to these people through these three levels of relationships that we don't even have to set up, you guys. Right. We're that's literally cool. dumping information into a bucket, and then, yeah. and then we go, you know, okay, well, you know, let's say I have a... a yeah. A bill of materials for these products as well too well okay are there other products in my in my data set that maybe have similar materials that i should probably sequester for the time being yes okay well what was the material that caused the recall okay it was these well now that i have all those other materials what other products could i make to help our you know embellish our revenue stream uh because of the the products that we now ha now have to recall and have this like hyper efficiency like like who would even think to put that on a report or a dashboard, I guess is what I'm saying when I talk mm -hmm. about when I'm like focusing on dashboards. So that type of interaction, and again, we're not, this is, yes, it's conversational AI, but the, the, the language model is a whole nother deal because it, yeah. has the, it has the intelligence of relationships. It has the, it has logic built into it. It's smarter than us. Like all these things it can do. So the point is, Shovel your data into these data lakes, and that's actually a term in modeling, and and then just put that entire set of data between you and these language models, and then have conversations with it. So here's the mind blow. What you just said that. for the common, let's say the common FileMaker developer is in my, mm -hmm. from my understanding, there's predominantly two forms of structured data that we have. There's relational, which is what we're used to in FileMaker, where everything is... Uh, you know, I have a customer's table and then I have an invoices table. 
Well, I don't have to have the name of a customer in the invoices table. I have a key that is the correlation between the two. But then the other data model is NoSQL. And NoSQL, or a document database, it literally has the customer in with the invoice and all of its grouped together. So as mm -hmm. FileMaker developers, if we say, okay, I've got all this relational structure, and I just basically export everything from every table without the relationships, the fact that AI will make the relationships on the fly and correlate the data and then give you the customer name, even though you only reference which customer should I notify mm -hmm. from these invoices on this product, that's, that's psycho. That's, that's exactly the way the human brain would work. If you could remember every customer and everything. Yeah, if you could remember all these long yeah, UUIDs yeah. Right. <laughs> without no, even knowing that. It, you, is, you know. it is exactly the way the human brain would right. work if we had a capacity beyond where, we'll, right. where we will ever get from a human standpoint. So so right. why would we be afraid of this? So, so how can FileMaker people use this? So I just yeah. want to be clear about something. As of today, you can, first of all, Chat GPT and GPT are two totally different things. Yeah, okay. we established that. <laughs> there's several models. There's the Codex model that you can integrate with, which has nothing to do with Chat GPT. That can mm -hmm. allow you to. And uh, Microsoft just yesterday announced that their business customers can integrate the Codex model into their applications. So, like when I was first working with GPT, one of the things I thought would be interesting is to create a learning tool, like way back, like when they first gave you access to Playground, I started playing around with JavaScript because I thought the FileMaker community needs to know JavaScript. Why bother teaching them? Let's just build it into an application and so they can just say what they want and it'll write the JavaScript for them. It was, it was a little pie in the sky, but ultimately I dropped that because a product called Copilot came out, which is based on the Codex model. So now Codex, you can integrate into FileMaker. So if you want it to write code in the background and you have some crazy idea, you can integrate with that. If you want to integrate with the language model, you can integrate with GPT 3.5 through the text DaVinci model, or this. Uh, there's various other models as well too, like the Dolly 2, which will take uh, your your text and turn it into images. Um, so, bunch of models. I love the references for all the names of things. You're gonna yeah, have to put. Dolly, a, you're gonna have to send us all, all the links, and we'll put them in the bottom of the YouTube description, yeah. so that we well, can the feed is, the model. Yeah, you can go to right. You, well, you can go to OpenAI if you want to pick that. You know, Microsoft has the exact same offerings. Again, they're the same. Mm -hmm. They're basically the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and all those models are available through API. Chat GPT is not. So if you want to incorporate, and first of all, Chat GPT is a very hyper-specific use case. Like if you want to do like, like really intelligent summarization or class, uh, classification or writing copy, you don't need Chat GPT. Like Chat GPT is conver conversational in that it has memory from earlier in your conversation. If mm -hmm. that's what your application needs, then integrate with Chat GPT. You can't because there's no API. But when the API right. comes out, you're need to ha gonna have a chat use case. Like we have a yeah. we're literally just finished doing embeddings and and fine-tuning on a on a customer project for a chatbot. And we're doing it on the DaVinci 003, but we're pausing and we're just waiting for ChatGPT to come out because now we can benefit from all the harmfulness and the the bad words and the it getting all angry stuff that was fine-tuned mm -hmm. into that. We need it on a chatbot. I don't need it in the project we just deployed where we're writing copy for products, right? Like that is very uh, a specific request. So go to OpenAI. You can log in with an account. You put a credit card in. They'll give you 120 bucks worth of credit. You can request to up that credit if you want to, and you can start hitting the API. The API documentation is very clear. It's very easy to do. Any FileMaker person who has integrated an API and can parse JSON, which 
I think we all agree should be everyone. Fortunately, it's probably not. But <laughs> for those of you that, that want to know that, you can get there very easily. And that's how you can integrate this in there. But then like you're still writing prompts. You still have to understand the concept of prompt engineering so that you can get the right results back. And um and 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 there's definitely use cases where FileMaker people can benefit. But but this is we're just talking about APIs. You're creating an API to a model, whether you fine-tune it with proprietary data or mm-hmm. with a certain tone or not, and you're getting data back. So it doesn't doesn't have to be FileMaker, it can be anything. Like yeah. only part of what we're doing for our deployments is in FileMaker. Right. But I strongly recommend people do do that. Um, again, you're going to put ChatGPT in this title. Don't mention my name or machine. <laughs> you actually want people to listen and pay attention. Yeah. And this is, look, it's the next big thing. Uh, right now, there's a lot it's of discussion. Big thing. Oh, it's not going anywhere. Not cur- yeah, it's yeah. not going to go anywhere. Hum- humans <laughs> aren't going to stop feeding the model. <laughs> it's no, like, no, don't, I don't feed mean, the beast. I don't mean, well, that's not possible. The beast I don't mean is it's not the next big started. thing. I mean, it's already the big thing. They, they, <laughs> yeah, sorry. you're right. It, it's already, yeah, this this rocket ship has already taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, and then I, there's an, other discussions, I think, in the there's very little discussion, honestly, in the FileMaker community on language models. And I, I, I look forward to that continuing because it's fascinating. Right now, part of the discussion is like, like, oh, you know, it. I, I'm asking it to do FileMaker stuff for me, and it's wrong. Um, don't, and and also probably some anxiety that it's going to take my job as a coder or something like that. Um, I will quickly address the coding thing. The position I'm standing on there is mm-hmm. that, um, remember, well, the three of us are old enough to remember, like, when we were trying to conduct business before email, maybe. <laughs> And back then it was like, hey, this new email thing is going to come out oh and you're going to be able to do like all those five phone calls you needed to make all day. You're going to be able to get those done by 9 a.m. and then just go golf. Well, the reality <laughs> of what the happened, what, the reality of what happened was <laughs> floodgates is that now we're expected to just do 80 times that stuff every day as far as communication. So I'm just saying that's all that's going to happen. Like it's it's really I'm as I wrap my brain around all this stuff, what is a human going to look like a hundred years? Like what, what skills will we have that we don't need right now? Right. I mean, I live here in Crete, the whole Island is covered with olive trees, the best olive oil, the best like raisins, the best vegetables, none of that stuff's going to change. Right. But I mean, there's this whole other world. Well, this has happened before. Uh, We've seen it happen over time. Agricultural uh, revolution, the industrial revolution. These are the the things of the day where people thought we were all going to go extinct. I'm in tech. I think about about a a six-year-old kid with an iPhone or an iPad. And and, and like what tech we had when we were six. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? That's a sketch. Well, (laughs) I I think that's what I had. (laughs) it's It's just a different paradigm. The one thing that will continually exist in humanity is problem and solution. Mm-hmm. There will always be something that will need to be solved because of the change itself. So that's yeah. that's where industries that did things an old way, that they solved a problem a certain way, they may have died off, but they got replaced by something new. And that's, that's all this is. Right. It's just a I, new and different way to that. solve well, problems. The other... The other part I'm, that I think I'm is kind of fascinating hopeful. to see, like, well, so here, here's the thing that I think is hopeful. Matt, yeah, I think this is all hopeful. 
Well, it is in, unless you're like, oh my god, and I'm a copy for some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but then you can get a new skill that allows you to put the right, uh, you know, prompts in so that you can so yeah, that you, you can, can like become, you know you, multiply your job and you can do other things that are a higher be, use of your time. Absolutely, you can become the prompt engineer that is facilitating all the different copywriting that's happening. What AI is coming for first in all these industries that are being disruptive are repetitive tasks. Even if you just isolate code, if you ask any Python or JavaScript developer and they're being intellectually honest with you, which mm -hmm. means they have to be anonymous, how much of what you're huh. writing is repetitive? If they're really being honest, they're 60 saying to 70 percent is the same crap over again. Customer invoices, as line as, items, customer invoices, line items. There's a guy out there that. I can't remember his name and I'm not doing him justice, but he's apparently like the biggest JavaScript guy out there and he has fully adopted AI. It's a big deal. Everyone's like, well, this guy's doing it. And he's saying, yeah, 65, 70, 80% of what I do is just repetitive. So now I think it's more like 95, done. 98. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but it's in a different so, order, right? It's the same stuff well, in a different order. So music, what, there's what seven notes, are? right? 12 notes in music, depending on how you count it, but seven notes in like a regular scale. And Three, from that, Punk rock, yeah, three. He has three, three yeah. chords, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But those three chords actually show the seven notes. So, <laughs> got um, me. Well, so my so my thought is this: if I can just get okay. So my my deal is we're problem solvers. You indicated that before. There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be people solving it. So to me, it's all about how can we get from the inception of the problem in our mind. Oh my God, I have this problem to solve. To solution. And right now, if we're, again, being honest as FileMaker developers, we are saying that that journey takes hundreds of hours to get to that. And we, we're very proud of ourselves because we're saying, well, we're not waterfall like those, those old big box, you know, Oracle systems. They take months. Okay, but we still take hundreds of hours to do that. So if we're truly about solving problems, then we want to remove the friction between the inception of the problem and the actual solution to the problem itself. And that's where this, these types of technologies will accelerate that path. Then, of course, yeah. you go, well... I was doing 10 projects a year to make the revenue that I'm doing. And if it becomes 90%, you know, if it becomes 90% quicker to do these things, well, yeah, I'm going to need more of those projects. And what I'm saying, the hopeful thing that I'm predicting for the future is these tools will become so effective at solving problems that more problems will be solved and the demand for problem solving will only increase. So ultimately, it's going to be how good of a prompt mm -hmm. engineer are you in yes. order to compose blocks that create the, the hole or the result that you need. Right. And but then, but AI is going to get better and better at becoming its own prompt engineer too. Right. And then yes, AI is going to be able it's to constantly learning. Like right yes. now, all it can really understand is typed text, but you can say the same sentence in a couple of different ways. I really well, like that, you, Matt. I really like you, Matt. I mean, those wait, mean completely a, different things with true. the same words. Tonality yeah. will be caught too. That's they'll, what I'm they'll catch the audio and they'll catch those frequencies. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, tonality is a very important part of prompt engineering right now. As, uh, actually, if you know, if you take something as rote, it's just like summarization. Like you go, oh, here's my, you know, like te Microsoft Teams, mm -hmm. like we'll take our transcriptions and write a meeting summary. All right, BFD. It wrote a summary. Great. But uh -huh. what if you said, write an, you know, write a summary. Okay, let, let me put this into school. So I did this proof the of style of Shakespeare with a well, negative yeah. sentiment. <laughs> well, so, right. So let, let's, I did this proof of concept for my wife. She's a special ed teacher. And we were throwing around this concept um, through some discussions with Claris and Apple education people where what if it, you could grade 
essay papers, right? So I put a little proof of concept together. I worked with my wife and some people at her, her school kind of vetted this out. And essentially what we had to do was take a transcript of the lesson and and you don't just go, here's the transcript, here's the summary of the lesson as a lesson plan. My wife has like third grade learners, fourth grade learners, all the way up to like eighth grade learners in one single class. Mm -hmm. And we were able to take a single lesson and say, these are all the different learning levels or Lexile levels, for example, that we have in that class. Write summarizations for each one of them. Write questions as part of this lesson plan that are geared to those individuals. So then we can turn that same model mm -hmm. around and say, oh, by the way, we got an essay back from a student. What learning level is this? If they're at a fourth grade learning level and they turn something in that's 12th, well, there might be plagiarism involved. But if they're fourth grade and they turn something in that's sixth, now they can change their IEPs and say, mm -hmm. well, maybe we should tweak your goals because we're seeing progress. That, that is actually impossible. Mm -hmm. Really one impossible. one person to do. I mean, you're when yes. you're a teacher, just yeah. grading the papers alone, the amount of time yes. that it takes, yeah. this, this AI is simply a compression of human time. It's basically That's saying it. this task used to take one person this much time. Now it takes this much time. It's like micro yeah, like, like, like every other thing, except, however many except now it activities takes three times humans as long do. To go to the bathroom <laughs> because you bring your iPhone in. But in all other all other areas of life, it makes things faster. <laughs> I don't have time for this. But yes, um, well, I hope we got out of dystopian. Like I, I, I really am. Hoping no, I wasn't there. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I think a lot of people, like, I think the natural reaction is, oh, my God, what was that giant sucking sound? Was that my entire industry going away? Yeah. And in some cases, maybe yes. Now, like, I'm talking with friends who are in marketing who are saying, like, I, I someone sent me an email from a copywriting company who just got out in front of it and goes, hey, we know we've been your copywriter for years, but now there's tools and this is how, this is how we're going to tweak the services. Right. It's kind of like that. And then the marketing guys, like literally I've had a friend who I meet with all the time and we talk about this and I know he'll listen to this. So with deference, he and his partner talk and go, well, do we just tell everybody we're using this and then become their Sherpa to this technology? Yes. Because not every marketing company is going to be able to do that. Not every copywriting company, but it's that whole right. like you need to be able to outrun the bear? No, just you need to be able to outrun your buddies. Right, exactly. It, like, it's that concept. So I, I think that right, like Netflix, Netflix and Blockbuster were in the exact same industry, renting DVDs. Yep. One, one of them turned, one of them actually turned the corner. Well, yeah. Redbox too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there might not be enough room for everybody to be successful and, and, and embrace the next, mm -hmm. next next technology. But I guess I would say is if you look over your shoulder, you smell something burning within your industry, then jump on board. And Petrowski, to your point, just use the things. I feel strongly that six months from now, most companies that hire marketers are going to assume that they're using these tools. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's for me, like you were saying, you get in front of it. If I was a marketer, I just don't need to say anything. Because the rate of human adoption is slow. Humans don't adopt to things really quickly because they operate off of fear principles. So oh, yeah. well, you'll hear chat GPT, my marketing job is going away. I should be scared. No, you should be, if you're a marketer, you're like, okay, I need to use these tools. You, like Agreed. you said, you get on board. You don't let well, it sink you. And then it, mm -hmm. absolutely. And that's exactly my point. And at some point though, like when you look at ChatGPT got to a hundred million, like that, you know, ChatGPT, that model and that interface came out on like right after Thanksgiving. You guys, it's like less than three months from what we're talking about. And they're at a hundred million users already. So what has that done? 
I, I just went to dinner over New Year's weekend with my family and my dad, who's 75, was there and he uses ChatGPT. And my niece, who's sitting next to me at the table, is nine years old. I hope she's nine years old. Uh, but she was using uh, ChatGPT. Like, it, it's using in the Using how? Meaning man. they're going just to open AI and just inputting queries? Yeah, literally. How do they get accounts? You can't get an account. I guess the $20 paid one, but. Well, it's still free. It's just that if you want to deal with it, maybe not being there right before you have to do a big presentation, then go pay your 20 bucks. But it's right. still. Well, I mean, I guess when I when I went to look at it, I've been several times, you can't actually use it at all unless you have an account and you can't have an account unless you're using it in version three. No, all you got to do is just give it an account. Uh, you're probably experiencing it when it's in its uh and it's happening a lot more lately since they have the pro accounts because free now you get a really low bandwidth <laughs> that you get to fight over. Well, it's like being free. in a hotel. Like, when really I tried to sign up, it, when I tried to sign up, it said, we're full, come back later. We'll send you an email when there's an opening. Well, that so was, was straight actually, up no way to do it. That was actually saying we're, we're, we're too busy right now. We'll let you know when we're not busy and you can actually get in. That's if you have an account or not. Um, you can oh, just. That's totally it. different. That's not what yeah. it said. It actually said you can't sign up for an account. Put your email in and we'll tell you when you can sign up for an account. That is the the pro account requires a wait list as well, too. By the way, you okay. have to sign up for a wait list before you can get an invite for a pro. But like most users in the United States who sign up for a, a, a pro wait list have already received their invite and, and okay. can log in as an account. That's the $20 a month version. The free version still exists, but it is really hard to get on there these days because yeah. the whole point of Pro is that you get full uptime. That's it. Right. That's, and it's faster. So all the free people, it's kind of like if you were, mm -hmm. you know, you go to a hotel with crappy Wi-Fi and everybody's fighting over the same thing. If you're the one person who's not downloading, you know, video games, then you're, you're having a terrible experience. So that's kind of what's happening. It's only like a certain amount of pipe. Um, They've got offset it, compute. Awesome. Well, it, that's no joke. And and it, it, so also what you can do, by the way, is just go to OpenAI and sign up for an account and, and you have your $120 ceiling and you go into Playground because most of what is amazing about ChatGPT is just the G GPT. And again, they're completely different things. And you can just accomplish the same things. As a matter of fact, you can uh, do the chat experience inside of GPT with API calls or just inside the Playground. So there's always, there's ways to get ac access to this whether you're using the ChatGPT free one or not. Um, but I strongly encourage people to do this. But the point is, the nine-year-olds and the 75-year-olds are aware of this now. Like, it is literally pervasive in, in our culture. It is a pop culture concept right now. So for us to think that maybe our I'm a copywriter and my customers aren't going to think I'm going to use this, they're they're all aware of it. Like they're literally, everyone's aware of this and whether they've used it themselves, they're aware that uh, that AI is here and AI can do this thing. So I don't know how much longer you can just use it and not tell people you're using these tools because it's so pervasive. It is literally the most popular and fastest adopted uh, technology app in the history of technology, you guys. It's, like by a, by an order of magnitude. It's really It's really simple. I mean... When we had telephone lines and they're based on these little pieces of copper and they all became interconnected, I have access to the internet. Oh, the internet is all this different knowledge. Okay, well, I can't go to all the different places on the internet because there's too many. But now it's I have access to human knowledge because yes. it's being consolidated. Right. We thought yes. that that was Wikipedia, but it wasn't. Right. Well, it, well, Wikipedia is in here. It's only thirty. No, no, I know, I know, but I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's an important thing for people to wrap their head around. Like, 
I can get all my answers. And it knows, it knows how we talk. It knows how we, most importantly, like Matt Navarro, you keep saying, it knows how our brains work. So it's parroting us. But it just has compute power that a human brain will never have, just in, in our lifetimes and, and many to come. So it's the same information. It's the same way we talk. It's the same way mm -hmm. we think. It's just like or, like orders of magnitude of compute power higher than what we can achieve. It's just the next stage of evolution of the computers. It's just the next stage. I'm I'm fascinated by the uh, by the concept. The best analogy for me would be Twitter. Twitter is centralized in terms of its information, but Mastodon now has all these different, you can set up all these different servers. And the same thing happened. Mm -hmm. um, communication via the phone was through a central company, you know, the, the bells before they broke them up. But then Skype happened. Skype became a decentralization of communication using audio. So that this is basically, well, there's going to be a few big companies well, they're going to control all of it, and then you're going to get to a decentralization stage where people are like, we don't want to give up that much control to a single entity, a la Twitter versus Mastodon. And and that is why if people think that this is coming like a fire hose right now, all mm -hmm. we're really seeing mm -hmm. is the product of like OpenAI slash Microsoft's model. Uh, Google tried to get in there, you know, try to muscle in with Lambda. They got another one called Palm. But... I mean, literally, like uh, by the summer, <laughs> the, the zeitgeist is going to be aware of yeah. all these other models, and the competition is going to just accelerate this to to right. the point where the stuff we're talking about today is probably going to seem silly when we listen to this. Where, where's Apple? God, and then eventually they <laughs> well, they interconnect you, all Matt. the models. Thank you, Matt Navar. Who is conspicuously absent from this conversation? Now, I'm going to we're we're our our wagons are hinged to Apple. Our wagons are hinged to Claris through Apple. Uh, does Claris have an AI strategy? No, zero. There's absolutely yeah. no nothing from an AI stand. They have Coromel. We talked about that ad nauseum. Right, that's Apple. It's on the nauseum, and that's Apple. Mm -hmm. They're having a like a internal. They have an AI summit every year, believe it or not, um, at, at Apple, and they're having it in person. It was a big deal. It's going to be at the Steve mm -hmm. Jobs Theater, like next week or the week after or something. And if they're not talking about what the hell, where's our corpus of data and our language model offering, like they, they're heavily, heavily leveraged on AI. Their, their Siri conversational AI bot was revolutionary and literally just remained stagnant to the point it's where- It's gotten worse. <laughs> it actually has gotten worse. I actually took a GPT-3 a couple of years ago and did shortcuts to do an API call to GPT-3. And I just say, summon the bot. So, oh, actually, hold on. <laughs> they're in a bit of a conundrum though apple so, uh, hinged their wagon against uh to the privacy train google did not so google yeah. like hey we're gonna read every bit of your one terabyte of emails well, in well, your gmail account apple's like well we're privacy focused so hey, how are they going to access listen, the knowledge i don't run apple literally no one who works at apple or claris cares about my opinion about anything but if I was someone that people listen to in those areas, I would say, Apple, here's your opportunity. Because you're you're the gatekeeper of privacy, now give everybody back their own model. Now make it whether you're a corporation or an individual. Here's all mm -hmm. of your data, and all you all you have to opt you have to opt others in to your data rather than you opting out of all these data stores, right? And so the, and Apple can do that because, you know, user count, market share, and their privacy stance, right? So mm -hmm. Apple could turn this whole damn thing around and go, oh, 
I, the only way you can get to my data is through my Apple ID account or whatever. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that means instead of Netflix having a machine learning model of all my decisions and, you know, Amazon, I just, I opt, I allow Netflix to have my model and I control my likes and dislikes and what, you know, what it can have access to. And then we tur- we put in series constantly listening to us, all of our text messages, all the likes and dislikes on all our social platforms that are coming on our device, all of our email conversations and our conversational tone and millions of mm-hmm. data points that are, we're collecting on a minute by minute basis. And then Apple can then plug us into all these things and, and control the model. That's where their, their opportunity is. Because right now mm-hmm. they are... And they probably make me look stupid by announcing some language model thing, but they're so far behind. Well, they're really, really good at keeping things secret for a long I, time. Well, that's too, the so. other thing. That's exactly what they do. Everybody else, they purposely get out in front and they just throw some stuff out there. So Apple could blow us away. I can't be. I can't wait to be blown away because I cannot believe. That would be great. I, yeah. I did a because I, I feel embarrassed. I did a podcast with uh, our friend Jeremy Brown, like two two years ago, and we were talking about GPT-3 and how we can integrate stuff into FileMaker and all that kind of stuff. And I said, like, kind of a jerk, I go, bad news, there's one corporation that has exclusive rights to it, and it's Microsoft, boo! And now <laughs> I'm a Microsoft partner because now <laughs> I want their yeah. services, and I think they're a lead- they are, in fact, a leader in this space. So I'll be careful to tr- not make those same statements about Apple, but here's the, here's the deal. Aside from CoreML, and and the machine learning processing that our devices and our our Macs have in them, and and they're they're using machine learning to the nth degree. But as far as these language model things and the in the emergence of AI, Apple currently doesn't have a position as of February twenty twenty three, like zero. And Claris, guys, yeah, less it's like less than zero. <laughs> less, it's n- negative zero. They absolutely well, have no, they have nothing going on with. I, I don't AI. know. It's maybe not a great analogy, but. Apple wasn't the first one to to have a, a smartphone. They weren't the first one to have a, a smartwatch. First one to have a tablet. They weren't first in any of those areas. But they but need they, to do that. But they're but the best in all those areas. Here, here's the thing, though: the but GPT, this isn't hardware. The GPT language model, GPT one was from like 2017. So, like Apple, like when are you going to reveal your big secret? Like we're not just saying. Right. This all came out in November, and Apple's like hurrying in their lab, no, like making something amazing. Been, yeah, chugging along. Yeah, they've had five years. And what's their corpus of data? Their corpus of data, as we've already indicated, is personal data that they are not letting anybody have access to. It's it's an interesting conundrum. So, what do we care about Apple? That's fine. I, I'm a consumer. I don't want my data shared unless they give me my self model, and then I can control it. That's their opportunity. And then Claris. Look, they don't uh, actually. I I don't want to be too un, un, unfair about Claris. I, I, mm. I I'm coming from my position because I have I've been talking to Claris about AI for like a year and a half. I know everybody over there who's excited about it, and both of them. <laughs> yeah, there's like three, and they're super fired up. But like yeah, at the highest I'm, levels, I'm there's silly. there's no there's zero. I'll except for one interesting thing that if people have listened to this podcast, even though Ippolite's your guest, which means guaranteed no one will. But we did put ChatGPT on the title, so maybe people are listening. So other people but, are going to find it. By the way, well, about a half an hour ago, we passed our our uh, um, record for the longest podcast episode ever. It was the second longest one last year when I was on here. No, 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 we're way. Well, uh, here's yeah, the good we, news. We've been players, on the call so, for an hour and forty-five. Well, remember we we bantered about a bit at the beginning about AI, our audio quality and that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> 
here's the good news for those like the three of you that have waited till the end of this to listen. But Claris has uh, got a OpenAI connector. I'm probably stealing their thunder, but they don't know, whatever. They don't listen to this stuff either. But mm-hmm. there's an OpenAI connector coming out on uh, Claris Connect sometime over the next month or so. It's supposed to be out this week, but it's coming out soon. So that means we can natively integrate OpenAI. We go sign up. So how do we do that? Go to OpenAI, sign up for your account, get your API key, just like anything else that you're making an API connection to. You can then just do your own API connections. It's not a very heavy lift, but if you don't, if you're not familiar with that stuff, then go use your Claris Connect connector. Simply put in your OpenAI key, and then you can ask it questions. You can have it, you know, summarize stuff for you in the in the spirit of you know this level of learner. All the stuff that we've talked about here, you can then do within your FileMaker applications. Don't get so stuck on Chat GPT. If you specifically mm-hmm. have a chat bot or some conversational use case, then wait for the chat GPT API to come out likely through Microsoft Azure services first. If you're already an Azure services uh, 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 subscriber, just get these same services through them. Mm-hmm. And then just make these connections within your FileMaker applications. And then even though Claris isn't doing anything, you can in your in your applications and uh, build out intelligent uh, forward-thinking applications that allow users brand new and amazing access to their own data in ways that we've never been able to do before. How's that for an inspiring message? It's it's inspiring. Okay, we've talked for a long time about this, but I have a question. Where do you see this going? What's the future? And and did you that's use what, That's everything we've been talking you? about. <laughs> no, I well, mean like... Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. Um, levels of productivity that we just cannot understand right now. And I think that's where the fantastical nature and the confusion mm-hmm. and the fear comes from. It. I was being silly before about communicating before email and now we have all these other ways to do it and they're, you know, eight, 10 times more communications per day. We're going to get to that level and it's, we're just going to be used to it. Like the, the level of output we're going to be used to. Now, what that means is we're closing the gap between inception of problem and, and and solution, which means that more custom apps get created, more apps get created, more problems get solved, and the order, uh, the the volume of those will will happen, and from that is going to become a fundamental change in business. I mean, if we're just focused on business because that's where our customers are, it's going to be like we've never seen before. What what yeah. SMB small businesses are able to achieve. Let's just focus on that is going to be something that they would have never imagined they'd be able to do. And and, yeah. and if you combine that with the fact that 2023 is clearly a recession, no matter what kind of rosy picture you want to paint on that. <laughs> I actually just listened to a podcast that said it's absolutely clear not a recession. Oh, like okay. Every single um, indicator is that 2023 is going great. The lowest <laughs> unemployment since 1965. House prices are going up nationwide. Uh, you know, there's all these other indicators that really show that it's not a recession. Well, somebody please but, tell uh, my customers because th- that is clearly not happening. Budgets. No, no, no. Everybody thinks it is. But I'm just saying the indicators. I'm just yeah, the yeah. Indicators. I'm just saying if, if probably from a self-preservation standpoint, you should probably lean on the maybe it is part of it. But here's why that's important to the mm-hmm. AI, AI discussion. AI is emerging at the almost curiously at the exact same time as every organization from SMBs up to to, to enterprise levels have to figure out one important thing. How do I do more with less? Yeah, I was just going to, that's the exact phrase I was just going to say. I was going to say, they're letting people go. Salesforce, we just let go of 13% of our workforce, 2,500 people out of jobs. Well, and maybe this is a good closing statement, but as one of my customers revealed to me, one of the AI solutions, and I won't give any details of it, I have not mentioned it yet here because I don't want to out them, but I think this Mm -hmm. is so interesting, is they said, okay, 
we just laid off like a whole department and this is one of the things they did. Can you create an AI solution that can do this? And we said, yes, and, and we'll create an AI solution. And then they said, oh, well, this is, this, it's never going to come back. And I was like, wait, what, the economy's never going to come back? No, man, well, six quarters, we'll be fine. And then we'll have another 14 years of, you know, God bless America. And now they go, no, the people. these people that we let go, like the solutions are going to be in place long after the economy recovers. And then it's going to be like, and so I, I'm not making a, a, a statement about humanity. I'm just saying AI is here to stay and the environmental forces that are influencing its adoption rate are probably something we haven't seen in, in history either. You can maybe point to something in the yeah. agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution that forced the acceleration of those things to occur, like, I don't know, wars or it's, it's whatever. It's all happened. It's, it's, everything well, like, has happened uh, before. Antibiotics. You've got cotton yeah. pickers well. and a big truck can go, go run through the field and do 5,000% more than the cotton pickers. Cotton pickers, they out of job. Mm -hmm. The hand-spun yep. gin don't need to do it anymore. You got the big truck. This is the big <laughs> truck of knowledge. Hey, it's just coming through. System, our education system at one point in the United States used to primarily be for trades, for literally uh, you know, tuning people for trades. And then that has changed because we don't need, we have machines to do a lot of things, right? So mm -hmm. it's just going to happen again. I'm very hopeful for it, but I will tell you honestly that... Um, I, I go to bed terrified and I wake up hopeful and that is just because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to swim on top of this wave. And I think we all should, these are conversations everybody should be having. Uh, this is not new. This did not all just start like at Christmas time. This has been going on for years. It's all within reach of everybody. Don't get too mired in chat GPT, but look at some of the other language models right now. The most approachable is GP is the GPT one mm -hmm. GPT four is going to come out and that's going to be revolutionary. Other models are going to come out um, and embrace them. Like, like, Hey, FileMaker folks, everybody who saw JavaScript in the web viewer come and they were like, meh. And all the people who saw API integrations come and they were like, meh. We call me a jerk, but. Or they're not still not learning them. And you're still not learning them. And like, that's you're just you're just letting yourself community. get passed up. I, I am here to say I'm not, you know, I'm not the guy who makes these decisions, but I, I really don't think that you're gonna be able to meh through machine learning and AI. Yeah. So if you're worried about your job getting taken by AI, it's probably because your job's just gonna go away. It has nothing to do with AI. But if you were actually adding these services to your here, here's the way to think about it mm -hmm. i said this on another podcast a couple years ago but no fewer than 30 percent of iSolutions billable hours go towards integrations with api and other non-filemaker services okay so just dollars and cents imagine if i turn my eye to these new technologies because i was really good at yeah, mm -hmm. imagine if I turn my turn my back to APIs because I didn't understand it and I don't know what JSON means or JSON or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. I would have 30% less revenue in my business. I don't I don't know how else to say it. It's just opportunity. And that 30% is the margin that you need between, you know, survival barely you, and comfort. That 30% yeah. is probably going to be what gets me to the end of 2023, and that 30% is pro is what's going to help me survive as the Claris opportunities continue to go downward, not upward, and it's just embellishing your portfolio. Like th That's all it is. Mm -hmm. So 
I, listen, I sat on, I, I'm kind of a jerk because I sat on this stuff. I didn't say anything about it for the first couple of years. I didn't even tell people at iSolutions for the first six months because I was like, oh boy, what does this mean? I'm really kind of coming out and talking about it now because I'm comfortable with it. We have a whole AI team and we're doing all sorts of stuff and we've got mm -hmm. a whole portfolio of projects that we're doing this for. So I don't mind telling people about it, but I strongly believe all anybody's talking to me about right now is AI integrations, not like the old file maker, you know? Right. So where's the demand? This is the demand. And in chat GPT, which I said, don't worry about, but pay attention to the fact that a hundred million users and counting know what this thing is. And so that's just opportunity. So here's a question for you. Is, is FileMaker still your bridge between the user and the technology? Oh, what, no, are, you, what are you going to use as a, a bridge? Like well, custom it, apps, Swift all, UI? How are you going to get the interaction between the user? Or are you just thinking this is all just verbal and that's all, you know a simple app? Doing, all that we're doing is building technology agnostic API uh, model uh, in, uh, models with API connectivity. So whatever your layer is, whether so that's it be just a the request, so the the you know the builder for you doesn't matter. Nope, not at all. The builder, the parser, the request, and the display of the response could be anything. It could be one of Navar's dashboards. It could be a web application. It could be a Swift app. It could be a FileMaker application. I don't care. I'll, all I'm focused on is building the brain of knowledge and then. I'm perfectly fine handing this to organizations and saying, here's your endpoints like any other API. You do with this what you will within multiple mm -hmm. different application frameworks. FileMaker is one of them, but... So there still has to be a place to gather the data for these companies. Yes. Right? So all these, all these places that do orders, all these places that do public well, health, all these... That's why I would all say, of our customers who do things yes, that's have why, to put their data somewhere. Here, here's something we said last year in our in this conversation, and and I'll say it again here, and maybe this is a good, Segway. but out, yeah, but it is this. What, wh where, where do I come up with this confidence that FileMaker people can go talk to their customers about, you know, machine learning and AI? Why do I mm -hmm. think that everybody's customer is a candidate for this? Well, because there's one profile that. You, as an organization, you only need one thing in, to, to meet the criteria to be able to benefit from machine learning and or AI, whether it be language mm -hmm. models or other AI. And that is, you collect your own data. That is literally 100% of all of our customers and the 10 people listening still to this after two hours. Like, that is the one thing they all have in common. And if mm -hmm. we now say that there's this commoditization of knowledge and that proprietary knowledge is even more valuable than it was five years ago... Mm -hmm. then our customers are sitting on top of dif differentiators within their space. And if huh. they really want to embrace them, then modeling and embracing some of the AI technology is the way to do that. Yep. The we should also encourage is, them what do to get you to do get as much data? proprietary knowledge as possible, right? So to your point, Matt, like if, if we can have, if a customer's like has a question of whether to pool and gather and collect and, and normalize yes. huge amounts of data. They should definitely be doing that. Yeah. Remember when we used to say like we would delete data still? Remember how silly, like no one, like yeah. don't delete data. Like just yeah. keep it all. Like, like literally take yeah. as much data as you can. And a lot of times, like, so when we're talking to people about, you know, hey, a customer wants a model, they know what their outcome is. Mm -hmm. Most of what we say to them is, well, what's the, what data do you have right now? And are you collecting all the sort of historical data and the actuals to be able to train a model? And a lot of times those conversations are, no, we're not doing that yet. So we say, okay, we'll start collecting those. And when you get to a certain point of data, then we can start training models to solve these problems for you. So again, 
100% of our customers, the FileMakers, maybe not 100, but like 90 plus percent are used mm-hmm. to the custom application idea. And so they can, so this is an advantage to FileMaker people. They can tweak, yeah. you add a couple fields on a fly. Like how easy is that for us to do? And that's, you know, really the only static that you're going to run into or friction, I'm sorry, that you're going to run mm-hmm. into when you're trying to create a model. Like all this points towards this being the next great frontier for FileMaker application development. I think so. And I, I, I don't, I think that FileMaker databases are still going to need to be there because companies are still going to need to, do, to organize data. All the, yep. all these places still have to do things, right? They still yes. have, that's, they still have products and my real questions. things. And... My, one of my questions is, will the relation, like who's going to win between NoSQL and the relational model? Or will they both coexist? Well, but like we said before, in these no, language no models. Well, first of all, NoSQL means not only SQL, right? So it's SQL plus all the other stuff. Well, that's a perfect thing. These models actually have access to various different ways to correlate data and will pick the right mm-hmm. tool for the job, sometimes within the same request. Let that set, sit in. Mm-hmm. Cue the music. I just, I just, um, <laughs> n- now that we're at the point where we have zero listeners, which is great. So it's just the three of us. Yeah. Um, I just uh, finished a new version of FM search results. Pure JSON, top to bottom, way more efficient, like a hundred times faster. Um, Is and I'm it... thinking, as we're having this conversation, how much, how awesome would it be if you can just put all the data in your database in between, and then you could query it? It already has a single field query tool like Google. Matt, this is my homework assignment for you. Feed it. Take well, <laughs> take your search concept, apply the vector search concept to it, the semantic mm-hmm. search concept to it. Mm-hmm. Whether you have to make an API, like you can send stuff up to like Pinecone or or like some of these vector database things. Like you can do the transformation yeah. on the fly. Um, Superbase has like a, a add-on that does it. Throw your data up there, vectorize it, and then make your API calls to this and then sit back and watch an, a completely different concept of search wash over you and your users of your tool and be the first to market yep. on that's clear. actually been my my goal a long time ago, but I but um I didn't have the tools to do it. And the other problem there is write the proprietary data. In order to do that, you have to get your private data of all your customers, all your people, to some place that's not on your FileMaker server. But yeah, obviously that's secure and fine. Well, now, but these vector database search servers are just another service that's up on the cloud. Check out yep. Pinecone; they they seem to be the leader in the space right now for that. Mm-hmm. All right. So FM search results seven will be coming out. It'll be free. FM search results eight will be. It's not free. It's $1,000 an hour (laughs) for compute time. Um, Well, I mean, it's a labor of love so far. I look forward to gentlemen having this conversation a year from now, just for fun. So we can just sort of tentpole, like how, I mean, I look forward to talking to you guys, a bunch of them in here, but it's been interesting. Like a year ago, we were talking about core ML. Yeah. Little bit about this stuff, right? The API models. Now we're saying mm-hmm. forget CoreML. All different right worlds. Yeah. Even the chatbot, the, the conversational AI has evolved dramatically since just like last quarter. Um, I look forward to seeing where all this goes. And I'm happy to have a voice here. And please don't put my name on this. Just put ChatGPT <laughs> and everyone's going to listen. And I just hope that a lot of people listen and get inspired by this. I really right. do. Yeah, so that's I'm why I think put people on YouTube will today. listen to the whole thing. Is it's just yeah. it's informational stuff that on your your average filemaker developer's day to day routine, they're not touched by this because they're not using it. Again, humans are slow to adopt, but it's continuing. You know, mm-hmm. leading edge always happens. You're just not plugged into it until it impacts you. 
Be fast to adopt. Sounds like a good one to end on. Yeah, that's sweet. And with that, 